90s saw the evolution of games that went from an old-school traditional 2D style into a 3D world that allowed us to explore games like never before. And people have talked in detail about games like Super Mario 64 on the Nintendo 64 and the incredible impact that it had in the grand scheme of video games, but on the PlayStation 1, I think that game definitely inspired many games like Crash Bandicoot, Spyro the Dragon. Both of these are very relevant today thanks to their respective trilogy collections where they took the original games from the PlayStation 1 generation, gave them an incredibly beautiful fresh coat of paint, and you can play them now on the Nintendo Switch, PC, PS4, all sorts of stuff. So on this podcast episode, we are going to be talking about Spyro the Dragon, the very first one from the Reignited Trilogy, and attempting to answer the question, was this classic game worth remastering, remaking, because this one's kind of like right up in there. So we're going to be talking about that on a brand new episode, which comes at you each and every Sunday with yours truly, Juan Velas from Puerto Rico. People, we got somebody back. It has been long since requested that this man from London, Ontario, be coming the backeth. Keith Hamilton. Keith, who let the dogs out? Hi, I let the dogs out. I'm still People for those. Hi. You're looking a little pugly there, my friend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Normally I'm just really ugly, but today I'm pugly. People, like, uh, I I don't tend to do a lot of, like, hey, listen, like, watch the YouTube version. But Keith, uh, who is on screen with you right now for those that are not seeing this? Right now on screen is my Jack Russell pug named Stella. She's three, she loves to eat, and has the consistency of a thermos. And she weighs about 30 pounds, so this has been really tough to do while you perfect that intro. (laughs) Wow. Is she more about like PS1 and 64? What kind of retro gamer is she? You know, she's more of the PS2 era. It was a little bit before her time being three and all, but um, (laughs) she'd gone back and appreciates the classics from that era and, uh, you know, um, longs for a time of wired controllers so she can chew them. Yeah, oh, so and, uh, is she more of a, a PS2 fan then, would you say? Oh my All right. goodness. Oh. Time to let her down. Before, <laughs> before that Keith punches, even Yeah, say. before Keith punches right at the face from Boston, Massachusetts, we have ourselves Ryan McNulty. Now, Ryan, uh, you've been super open about your, your love for uh, platformers like Banjo, Super Mario. So this is definitely something so special. But growing up, especially the, the year 1998, How important or relevant was Spyro for you? So Spyro was an interesting game for me because I had a PlayStation 1 growing up, although it was mainly like my Tony Hawk's Pro Skater machine because I loved that series. And I always felt the PlayStation for the early versions was the best. But with the PlayStation I got, I got the demo disc number eight. And on that was several oh games. Oh my god, that that thing yeah. is legendary. That yes. was the one with Spyro, Metal yeah. Gear Solid on yep. it. Oh, that was, you got I WWF think, uh, Warzone. Uh-huh. Uh, so you had a you had a bunch of things on there. So yes, as Keith mentioned, Spyro the Dragon was on there. So growing up, I played the demo a bunch of times. I was kind of thick, I guess, <laughs> thick in the head, and I didn't really understand what you were supposed to do in each of the levels. Like, I didn't realize you were supposed to rescue the dragons and stuff. Because that demo so kind of just threw you in there with no yeah, context. It, it really did. So, you know, I could go to you, you that artisan world that you start off in, 
you could basically just do those levels that were there and nothing else. And yeah, I would just explore the levels. I remember that nighttime level that's in the little maze very vividly. So that was like a real like rush of memories like when I played through it in this playthrough. But yeah, I never really knew what I was supposed to do, but I was like, oh, this game seems really cool. It's really fun to move around with Spyro, but I never ended up buying the game. So that was like the most I'd ever played about played of Spyro. Mm-hmm. I'm right there with you where I played the hell out of that demo on uh, volume eight there to the point where I had done everything in the demo. And then when you talk to the balloon guy, he kind of sent this message saying like, oh, uh, coming this fall, we can leave um, and go explore new worlds. I was like trying to figure out how to make fall happen in that demo. I played <laughs> it so much. Not yeah, really as a kid, being you a wished. thick kid, ra- like wrapping yeah. my head around the fact that, oh, that means actually the game's coming out in the fall. Yeah, as a kid, you're always like, is there any way to get more content out of this Yeah, the demo? full game's got to be here. There's got to be yeah. some, some kind of cheat code to make it happen. So I think Ryan is the main reason why demo stopped happening because he was like, oh, I, I played this so much. Why buy the full game? And I think a lot of demos actually had that. I mean, the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater demo, oh, holy dude, crap, that was amazing to play. The skate demo, the demo <laughs> for skate. Yes. I played the skate demo Oh for God! so many hours that when I actually got the game, I was like, I think I had more fun with the demo. Same, just play, same. Yeah, just playing with like the skateboard like controls. That was more fun just being in a skate park and doing that than actually playing the rest of the game. There was on that same demo disc, there was a skateboarding game that I cannot remember the name of, but it had king of rock by run dmc on it and i played uh, the hell th- thrasher out of that too. skate and destroy thrasher skate and destroy the that's saddest it. part is i played that demo yesterday <laughs> i'm not even joking is, right now how is thrasher in 2020 <laughs> honestly I, I don't know how the hell we're transitioning to spire after this but we're already in this um it's actually not horrible visually looks like crap but i think all of these games do have something in common which is that there, there are transitions that you, you're not sure if, the, if that's going to work for you. Like that Spyro demo, yeah, maybe you had some people kind of like Ryan that's like, oh, that's that's cool, kind of got my money's worth with the demo. But at the same time, it lets you know like, holy crap, you do have these expansive worlds and and with like Thrasher and all this stuff, it just get, gives you a chance to, to really try it out. So how did you guys feel when they first announced, uh, you know, we've had the, tr- the Crash Insane Trilogy, which took the first three Crash games on the PS1. And this is like, uh, it's between a remaster and a remake because the gameplay itself is largely the same. There's like an engine that changed, like a couple of th- stuff that people complain. But generally speaking, it's, it's the same game. It just looks a lot prettier. What's your guys' take on that, that it is only a visual overhaul, but the gameplay experience does stay mostly intact? Well, from playing it in 2020, maybe I've been a little too... um a little too privileged when it comes to remakes and remasters where going back to Spyro, uh, at least this version of it, I was a little disappointed because 
like you mentioned, the gameplay was mostly the same. That means that the kind of janky controls that were kind of status quo on the PS1 all of a sudden feel very, very out of place in 2020, especially when you have other things, kind of like the gold standard of uh, remasters, RE2 or Final Fantasy VII, both PS1 games that have been brought up into this generation through uh, uh, remakes. So when you look at things like Spyro and Crash and compare it to them, they kind of fall behind, really. But I think if you're very nostalgic for those games, I think this is an A-OK version of that. It's just not something that's going to blow your socks off like the other remakes. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's remakes and remasters, and this is definitely more of a remaster than a remake. And I, I think that's okay. For the most part, I think the game holds up. Um, well, although even though I didn't play it back then, aside from the demo, but it, I don't think there's enough to make, you know, like you said, some of the controls feel slightly dated, you know, particularly being able to kind of jump and breathe fire was really awkward and felt it was like, I don't even know if you could really truly do it. I don't know. It was kind of tough. But um, other than that, like, I think it's mostly fine. And I did want to, it made it easier for me to experience the PS, like basically the original game without having to, you know, actually buy a PS1 disc. I could play the game as, you know, what it was, but with just prettier graphics. And that's what I wanted to experience versus, you know, you know, it's all about going to the past. And this just was more accessible than getting a PS1. One. Yeah, it, it reminds <laughs> me of something that somebody from our discourse said, uh, Midnight Outlaw, I'm pra- paraphrasing here, but he said, it's kind of like the game is looking the way we thought it will look back back in the day, right? There's a lot of games yep. that you play maybe 10, 15 years ago, so you don't really remember how it looks. Like in your mind, you glorify the game. Then you go back to it, and it's like, oh, that doesn't work. So here you have a scenario where the gameplay is technically almost untouched, but it does look very pretty. And I think it does allow somebody like yourself, Ryan, that you always heard about the original game, so maybe you played the demo, but didn't play the final game. It's like the best of both worlds, right? But at the same time, maybe something doesn't hold up all that well. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to get to is that this game came out in 1998. And I was even telling Ryan before we hit the record button that this is a year that we kind of keep going back to a lot. And it's not by coincidence. I think it's just by the significance of the year. I think it's arguably the best year in video games ever. I would say so. Because, look, uh, we have Resident Evil 2, Metal Gear Solid, Banjo-Kazooie, Ocarina of Time, Sonic Adventure, Marvel vs. Capcom, uh, the very first one, and the list goes on and on and on. And then we have uh, this game right here. Plus, we're getting, this is like, you know, the late 90s. So, uh, the, the question here is, do you think, like, that era of 3D platforming, do you think that was kind of like when it peaked? Because by by this point, you know, we have Banjo, one of your favorite games, Ryan, here. How do you, how do you think this gameplay, considering it's pretty identical to the original one, comparing it to something like Banjo, and both are collect-a-thons in their respective ways, a lot of jumping around, uh, which one which one fits your style more after playing this one? Um, I mean, Banjo-Kazooie would definitely be something I would still prefer more than Spyro, but 
I think it it for some people it's going to come down to what you grew up with, right? And I played Mario and Banjo Kazooie as you know when I was a kid, and I didn't play as much of Spyro because I I only had that little demo. But um, it, you know, it's a fun platformer, and I found myself powering through this game pretty quickly like i wanted to keep playing um so i will definitely credit it with that there's some games that are just exhausting right and you can only play it in chunks and you have to take a break like you can only play like 30 minutes to an hour at a time this was something i found i could play for two three hours um if i felt like it and i don't know what it is because I, I don't think it's particularly amazing in any way, but it's just like, I don't know what it is, but I just wanted to keep playing. So I'll credit it that it's not as, um, you know, well done as something like Mario 64, where Mario has an incredible moveset and, and different jumps and, you know, momentum that picks up like the, the controls that they did for Mario at the time were just unbelievable. And I'm still amazed going back and playing it. Mario and Mario 64 feels better than some of the Mario games that came after it. Um but yeah, Spyro was a little weird. Like I felt like jumping to certain platforms was like a little unforgiving and felt like, oh, it didn't even f like some of the level design was like, oh, it didn't even feel like I was supposed to go here because of the way that they like the way that that jump felt. I don't know how else to explain it, um, but I don't know if you know what I'm saying. But yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think the biggest risk this game took is the flight. So uh, the, the first thing we got to bring up is I feel like Crash and Spyro in the in this time we're definitely treated like brothers in the game community or just like you couldn't think of one without thinking of I the other. I wouldn't really say brothers where yeah. they were more opposites of each other because when we're talking about platformers of this generation, there was very much two styles. There was the Crash Bandicoot, more linear platformer that you have like an objective, get A to B, and then you can kind of go off the beaten path and do like a more challenging route, but you're still taking a C route and ending up at the same space, opposed to a Spyro, which was more taking from your Donkey Kong 64, Super Mario 64, open world, um, being able to go in like any direction you want and eventually get to the goal or objective that you're trying to meet. They're very different when it comes to platformers. And that's, and like, if you really think of most 3D platformers and even 2D to a certain degree, you're going to fall into one of those two camps. And that's most of the reason why I never really played Spyro back in the day is because I fell into the Crash Bandicoot camp. Now it's really hard to say for whatever reason. The Crash <laughs> Bandicoot camp. And um, enjoyed that style of gameplay more. So not to any discredit of Spyro and going back, I enjoyed it. But I was always a Crash kid more than a Spyro kid. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would say Crash versus Spyro, you know, they are looked at, you know, we had the episode a couple of weeks ago about mascots um, and Spyro and Crash definitely fit that for the PlayStation. But Crash always felt like he was the guy for PlayStation, right? There was so he was in all the commercials. It, it felt like, you know, Crash was the mascot and it definitely Crash definitely felt bigger than Spyro but yeah to Keith's point like they're definitely two different styles 
you know, Crash is kind of taking the way of, it was kind of the next step for linear platformers was taking it to a different 3D view and having, you know, certain levels have different paths and stuff, whereas Spyro was much more like, you know, an N60, uh, Mario 64 kind of style, but trying to have its own take. And it was a quick nice. sidebar here. Sorry, but a quick sidebar here. You mentioned the commercials. If you've never gone and watched those 90s PlayStation commercials for Spyro and Crash Bandicoot, do yourself a favor because that is the most 90s ass video game commercial you will ever see. It's phenomenal. It's like somebody played five minutes of both of those games and created an entire ad campaign about them and i love them so so especially so crash's much. dances are so damn good in that oh, oh they're, they're the so best good. but uh what i was going to mention is that what i do appreciate is it could have been really easy in the ps1 for everybody to strive to go after the same category of platformers but i think keith you said it really well where even though a lot of people superficially can see Spyro and Crash as in like the same category. Yeah, they're platformers, but then you do get into very specific things like Spyro is a lot more open. Uh, it's about the flight. It's more about the adventure where Crash is a, a much more difficult game. And I actually want to bring up something that one of our people from uh, awesome supporters from our uh, Discord mentioned. Uh, this one comes to us from uh, Aaron the Mango who wrote, I played a lot of Spyro growing up. It was always second place to crash, but I think what I appreciate the most about Spyro is that it kind of sets the ground, or the groundwork for games like Ratchet and Clank, which is a series that will never age. And uh, everybody, like, do not forget, like, we do have uh, a Discord over at acastofthepast.com slash Discord. There we're talking about food. I just shared a picture of a cake that I ate before this recording session, and I regret that horribly but we've also talked about games all that stuff and don't forget to leave that five star review but just getting directly to the point now mr mcnulty let, let's kick it off with mm -hmm. you my friend did you enjoy playing spyro now knowing that it is a game of the past it is a game that you, you like you like challenging games i mean i, I know you as a mm -hmm. friend as a gamer this is not your traditional challenging game but it is a platformer. So what do you think of it? Like I said, the fact that, you know, within four, you know, four to five play sessions, I play through the entire game, I would say is credit to it that it it did have a style to it that made me want to keep playing. Um, is it the best platformer? No, I, I don't think so by a long shot. But it is a fun game that I would potentially go back and play again. Uh, I felt um, they, it was pretty easy in the requirements to keep progressing. I did not get every single treasure, but I did decide I wanted to get every single dragon. And for the most part, they weren't too hard to find, but there was one or two that were actually really difficult to find. Um, but I did end up getting all the dragons, but there's no special reward for that. I think you only get a secret level if you get literally all the treasures and all the dragons. But... Um, I found it to be a very enjoyable game for the most part. Um, there was just a couple things that were definitely on the weak side. The, all the boss fights were pretty stupid for the most part. They uh, were 
you know, very simple, not much to them. It didn't seem like whatever mechanics they tried to add. They didn't seem like boss fights at all. Yeah, they did not. It seemed like they would try to add some different mechanic to each boss fight, but it really didn't matter. You could just rush up on them and hit them and then it was done. Um, But the the things I definitely were not a huge fan of was, again, going to the flight and the, the, like, the rush pads or whatever the hell they were called um you know all those types of levels that were built around like running and flying off of those like um do you know know what those ramps were called the speed ramps or whatever oh yeah we just call them speed ramps yeah any levels that were heavily reliant on those i found to be really annoying and there was one in particular i think in the swamp world that was very annoying with that Uh, especially if you wanted to get the last dragon in that level i think it was called treetops and some of them are not obvious at all yeah no no, some of them but to the game's credit i think a lot of the levels were nice and short and they didn't outstay their welcome i thought that was a really nice change that sometimes there's all these big huge levels but i felt like the levels were pretty nice and concise for the most part and it felt like before you got sick of a place you were moving on so i thought the pacing of that was really well done and i just skipped after the first flight based levels i just skipped the rest of them because i'm like the only way to complete them is by getting everything, and I just didn't have the patience for that. Yeah, I'm with you there. But I I pretty much agree with almost every point that you made there about the game, and um, I do really like the flow of the game up until the uh, the later levels, but you do never really feel like you've overstayed your welcome in a level, because... Getting through the levels I found to be pretty easy, but if you want, you can get that added, um, those added objectives of maybe like going a different direction and going through some harder platforms and trying to get the extra dragons, trying to get the extra gems. But if you weren't driving with a level, you could just easily get that dragon and leave. Like getting to the end of every level in that game is not hard at all, at least for the uh, most of the game. It's fairly simple, and the objectives, um, they keep you going. Uh, you, you never really feel stuck or, like, trying to go through a checklist saying, like, okay, I've got... I need 50 dragons. I've got 48. Um, I can go to this level and take care of these two, and then boom, I'm done. I appreciated that it wasn't uh, difficult to do, but one thing that really peeved me about the game was the layout of it in you didn't know what your objective was until you reached the other side of the overworld. It's a little thing, but it bothered me a lot because I like to know what I'm trying to aim towards. And unless you go through the entire overworld, talk to the balloon dude, and then go back and then start the levels again, like you don't really know what you're doing. You're just kind of getting things and hoping you get the right amount of them. For the most part, I ended up doing that, but it's still, I found it to be a little frustrating that it didn't just like plop you into a world and say, okay, you need to get 50 dragons, five eggs, whatever, 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 Mm -hmm. then you can progress. And then if they would have done that, I think I would have enjoyed the experience a lot more, but that one really irked me. Yeah, I, I, 
I didn't run into that problem except for maybe one time because I was going through and getting every dragon and I was trying to be a completionist pretty early on. I was getting the eggs and stuff. There was only one time where, you know, I started exploring all like the hub worlds more before I would go into the levels because I wanted to get all the dragons in the hub world. Um, and then I would just talk to the balloon guy and it was the only time I was actually like short of a goal like a lot of times i could have completely skipped a world if i wanted to but i i ended up um, which i think is also cool that yeah if there's level like you said if there's levels you don't like then you could you could beat the game without even touching some levels if you didn't want to which i i like that kind of element of choice but i wanted to play most things except for like i said keith and i didn't like the flight levels so we didn't do any of them and it was fine you could still beat the game so i appreciated that element of choice and i loved i also really liked the whole hub world exploration and picking up um you know you could pick up dragons and gems in the hub worlds and interestingly that's very banjo kazooie-esque which these games came out in the same year so it's very interesting that they shared that kind of trait in common having these themed hub worlds that it's not just an area where you enter the level but there's actually things to get in in these areas too for me i'm gonna have to say that I felt very similar with this game as I think most of us did when we played Prince of Persia, which is the game's detriment and benefit is it's very stagnant or it's very, it's like a straight line. When you start and when you end, you pretty much have the same stuff. That doesn't change at any point. And with Prince of Persia, with Prince of Persia, what I think was good was there is a sense of difficulty. Like you had the rewind mechanics and all that, but here I think the game was a lot of just hey, look at this. It's very beautiful. You kind of know the, the mechanics. Aside from dying a couple of times, you're going to keep progressing. And I think that's probably due to the fact that this game was made for kids. You know, like, let's not forget 1998 Vita games. I think Crash was far more relentless as a Vita game where Crash, you were going to die a lot of times, but that was probably done by design. Where this one, I think the, the same reason both of you mentioned that hey, you're kind of in one place, but it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's the sense that you have flying levels that you can conveniently skip. And even though in my case, you guys know I get frustrated a lot in games and I beat every single one of them. Like for some reason, I, really? needed, I needed that challenge in my game because I felt like I was plowing through it. And here's a stage that I'm just dying time and time again. I'm like, no, no, I, I can skip this because I even looked it up online. And like you guys said, it's like, oh, you can kind of get by this. I'm like, no, I'm not going to be one of those people. I mean, hats off to you. Well yeah. done. I hated Credit those to you. things. I'm not, a, yeah, I'm not a big fan of like flight levels. So I was like, no thanks. And and it, it's a pain in the ass, but I, I did enjoy it. I thought that visually, uh, I mean, damn it, this game's beautiful, right? We're talking about a, a, a remaster remake, like, it's technically a remake because they're remaking the, the assets. Like, that is the definition of a remake. Remasters usually, like Shadow of the Colossus, PS2 to PS3, where they took the same assets from the original game and upscaled and all that. But here, mm -hmm. it is, once again, a middle ground, much like Crash, where it's the same game, except it's not in some cases. But I do think this incredible fresh coat of paint made me laugh out loud sometimes because it's like you have these huge monsters that you beat with like one hit 
And I'm yeah. like, man, somebody like spent hours animating this this beast or something, and then you beat him like it's nothing, right? They feel like they should be more of a threat, at least for I, me. I, I actually appreciated that that was kind of consistent where everything dies in one hit, but how you hit them may change. So they did up the ante with some of the um you know some of the enemies where it got a little bit more complicated you had to time it or they're shooting barrels at you and you have to repel the barrel back at them uh but they really really came down to two mechanics it's you have you have enemies that you can fire breath to kill and you have enemies that you can charge to kill and that was really the entire that that was the combat in a nutshell Mm-hmm. So how did you guys feel about the actual dragons? The whole uh, the, the the whole objective of of the game is you have these frozen dragons and then you bump into them, you break into them, each one of them they they saw you like you were this little worthless dragon. Uh yeah, you're the one that's saving them and somehow seemingly they they know exactly what's going on and they seem to be very like they're they are not surprised at the fact that they were just like not able to move, which to me was a little weird. But how did you think about, like, how, how did that give you a satisfaction from, like, a, a collect-a-thon standpoint? Just, like, bumping into them or flaming them there, and then you see that, and then when you look at the map, you're like, okay, I got all three dragons, I can move on to the next stage. Was that something you enjoyed? I give them credit for trying to give them all voice lines that had something interesting to say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they hit the mark. It it was I really appreciated the ones that were like, "Hey, you could jump over there and you could probably make this jump because then I would go like, "Yeah, okay. Yeah, I could probably make this jump." And then appreciated the little hints from that, but a lot of them I found to be um pretty worthless to be totally honest where um I would go through an entire level, like the early levels where it's still in the tutorial phase, um, where you're still learning, like, okay, these are the enemies you can headbutt. These are the enemies you can flame. I would get through an entire level, and then one of them would be like, oh, you know, you can uh, you can headbutt the enemies with the armor. Like, thanks, dickweed. I kind of been doing that for an entire <laughs> yeah. level. So I didn't really, uh, I, I give them credit. I don't think they hit the mark with that. Yeah, some of them were more useful than others, and it got to the point where you did start to appreciate when some of them just said, thanks for rescuing me, Spyro, and you're like, okay, good. We don't need a joke everywhere. But it is nice that if you compare, I looked up out of curiosity the PS1 footage to see what the dragons looked like, and I think they were a lot more generic looking, whereas I like that in this one, they all got costumes and they all looked unique. Um, So that was really cool. Um, But I was surprised how, you know, how much was retained from the original. So the fact that they had all the voice lines and everything was was pretty impressive for that time. Yeah. And and even though obviously looks very different from the original, the fact that the gameplay, yeah, sure, some things maybe don't hold up. I, I agree. The the fire seems sort of like weird. I don't know about you guys, but it always felt awkward to me. Like to me, it was a lot more natural just ramming into the enemies and and just like running and all that than the other stuff was. But then uh, I did for context, uh, I think I, I mentioned it before, like a year ago, two years ago, play the original game just for a little while. And it is commendable that it did have voiceover. It did have all of these features. And instead of a game like Crash, which we, we talked about, this is not like an open world game, but 
it does reward you for exploring the world. Like in order to be able to obtain like a completionist rating in this game, you do have to figure out, okay, so here you got to get maximum speed. Then you got to go through these two specific areas. Then you got to jump and fly. And then you got to go through this narrow place. And then you get your final dragon. Like you yeah. don't know that until you actually just explore the stage. And that part I really did appreciate. Oh, yeah. The the treetops last dragon is... It's a bitch. <laughs> yeah. You have to do so you have to do a lot of crazy jumps and that one took me forever. Uh so the, yeah, there there was like one or two that were like that. Um and of course there's a lot of treasures too that are like hidden. It doesn't feel as rewarding sometimes you find this really secret place and then it's like okay, it's only treasure. Yay, wow. Um so that's a little bit disappointing. It would have been nice if there was a, something more meaningful in some of those like really hard to reach areas. But if you're just a com completionist, uh, I think this game definitely takes a little bit more challenge if you want to find every single treasure. But if you're just doing like an, you know, any percent playthrough um, casually, uh, you're, you're going to be able to get through it pretty smoothly. Yeah. And I appreciated that about the game because using the treetop level specifically, I thought that was a nightmare and I had no interest in getting that dragon so I could just move on and it was way better for it. I thought it was special. And I think the other thing that I appreciated is that, uh, look, a lot of games, even this one technically has a story. At some point in there, there is a story, but there is something to the simplicity of a lot of these games that look at the end of the day, get from point A to point B, you progress through levels. And I don't think that every game needs to shove a story in your face. Like, like Keith said, I appreciate that every dragon has a little bit of dialogue just to like get you into the world. And there were a ton of other spiral games, right? Because I think a lot of people remember the uh, trilogy on the PS1, but we had Spyro games up until the PS3, I believe we got. Uh, yeah, he was and, a Skylander, one of the first. Yeah, like I, I actually have. Uh, the, Wait, like he's the a Skylander? Yeah, he yeah, was one, he was of, one of the Skylanders. original. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, and those are actual good games, and a lot of the gameplay mechanics stem from this game. So it, it is interesting that there was like a, uh, some legal stuff or whatever happened in between where these characters became a little bit irrelevant. But um, do you think that somebody should go back and play, you know, we have a trilogy. So we played one game out of a package that contains three games, which is a big deal because we're used to like uh, maybe getting one game in like a remaster or a remake. What do you think of the fact that it's like, no, you're getting three games and we beat this one. And for me, like, I got my money's worth, right? Even though I, I totally yeah. got this over a year ago. What do you think about the fact that, but wait, there's more. And you can play them right now. Well, I will say rip my uh, Nintendo Switch hard drive space. Because it's like 15 gigs. I need to get an, another SD card wow. or whatever. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had to delete a lot of stuff off my Switch to be able to play it. So, I, I need myself uh, an SD card. Uh, because, yeah, it took up a lot of space. But, it, no, it is nice. Um, I missed the sale that had happened, like, by a week, so I had to by pay a week? the full it was like by, by, like, a day. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, once I realized I had missed it, I decided to just wait a week to make myself feel better. But, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I missed the sale, so I had to pay 40 bucks. But, I mean, it, I, I felt that I, you know, I had a really good time with the first one, so, you know, 
definitely down the line, I'd I'd be interested to explore uh, the other two games there and, you know, maybe check out more of the series uh, like later on. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very solid uh, platformer. And if you like platformer games, it's definitely one you should check out. The thing that I'm having trouble with recommending it is... I wouldn't recommend it as your first choice, even when it comes to trilogies that have been remastered um, for this generation of console. I think it's a good one, but I don't think it's the best one. So I wouldn't say it should be your first choice, but it's definitely a choice and it's you'll have fun with it. And you if you are looking at the reignited trilogy, you do get a lot of value out of it because it's three full platformers for a 40 dollar price tag i it's really easy to get your money's worth with this but when it comes to if both from the sides of you want to replay like a platformer from that generation or you want to check out platformers it's really hard to recommend this as a first choice but it's a solid second or third choice and i think one of the other challenges is balancing out nostalgia between a game in 2020. This is not old. This uh, collection, I think, came out a year ago, a year and a half ago, something like that. So I would love, because the three of us, even if Ryan didn't play this game in full back in the day, you, you've you played other games like this from that. So you have a different mindset as opposed to somebody that is playing something like this blindly, but has played maybe other modern stuff like a new Super Lucky's Tale or a Hat in Time or something like that. So... How, how much do you think when we cover something like this on a cast of the past, right? Where more often than not, the question is, is blank worth playing in the year that we're talking about it? Do you think that we inadvertently uh, sort of uh, are more lenient or, or forgiving because it is something that we play growing up or something that it is tying back to one of our favorite consoles or, or, or adolescence and process growing up? I mean, uh, as human possibly. beings, we're nothing but a bag of our own experiences, right? So if you feel fond for something, you're going to give it a little bit more of a pass. But at the same time, when you look at something like the Reignited Trilogy and playing it in 2020, and when you're comparing it against those games that you're talking about, like the Super Lucky's Tales or the uh, Ukuleles of the world... Those games have controls that feel good in 2020, where Spyro kind of falls short on that. Like, try playing Super Mario Galaxy for an hour, then going to play Spyro. You're going to feel miserable about it just because of how different the controls are. So I don't know if that makes it um, like if it makes it more difficult to recommend it from that way. So I don't think we necessarily give it a pass because of that. It's just another thing you have to factor in. Yeah, I would say under the context of, okay, if you're listening to this podcast, then chances are you like retro stuff. So I think you would like Spire the Dragon if you like platformers. But to the average kid that's playing Fortnite or whatever right now, they're probably not going to find, you know, a ton of interest in a game like this. But if you like platformers and you like old school games, I think this is a fine game to play. So it really just kind of depends on the audience. It's I, you know, if if you were to make a list of 100 games that you need to play, I, I don't necessarily know if Spyro would be on that list. Um, but I still think it's a, a game that you'll have fun playing. I think that in my case, 
the the one sort of like asterisk that I would put is okay, Spyro, uh, much like Crash and many other games from the time, there's not an upgrade system, right? I think if you made these games in modern times, the characters would either level up or you would unlock something that you would apply. But hey, when you go back to a game like Ocarina of Time or even Mario, like you would get some, even if it was like a temporary upgrade. Banjo Kazooie, you get a, you get more abilities as you exactly. Progress, so and and here they kind of they kind of try to like uh there was one of the stages that I couldn't break anything and the I just didn't understand. Yeah, exactly. Then yeah. he goes like Super Saiyan Spyro and then can just like just tear ass all across, and that much like Prince of Persia. I was like, I would like that a little bit earlier into the game and expand upon that. Now, once again, like this is the first out of a trilogy. I feel like I'm just repeating what I said there. But I do think it's those those things that if you're playing a game for four, five hours, but you're not really seeing numbers go up aside from like, hey, yeah, you're collecting diamonds and all that, but your character's largely the same. I do think that's maybe the one part that would turn a lot of people away. Because even older games like Resident Evil, you get new weapons, right? Or, or anything like that. There's that sense of the actual character progressing, not you progressing through the world. And I think that is maybe one of the biggest things that, that, that Spyro for me definitely didn't do. So would you guys say, uh, when talking about the legacy piece, at some point, Companies went like, hey, we should go back into the well and do a Crash Trilogy, do a Spiral Trilogy. Now, just because it's Activision and they love money, though that's probably like one of the main influences. But why do you think uh, people still look back at Spyro and the, the cute little purple dragon and think about this and think like, hey, th th there is something there. Maybe it's not perfect, but why do you think the impact of this game it was? I think, you know, Spyro, when you think of Spyro, it just kind of takes you to uh, a a bygone era, if you said, you know, if you would. Uh, just an era where platformers still were at the forefront of gaming. Now, do platformers still exist? Of course. But they are not at the front and center like they used to be. Um, and Spyro will, he, you'll just really, even though his legacy continued after PS1, um, Crash and Spyro really, when you think of them, you think of the PlayStation 1 era. At least yeah, that's what those other games are not good. <laughs> so it, it really just, they see, you know, I think Spyro just kind of represents kind of someone who was lost to that era, really, because, you know, it's great that they've had the remax remakes for and remasters, whatever you want to call them, to kind of bring Spyro back. But it, it definitely feels like this era, this chapter, you know, gaming is just different now, um, but it's fun to go back, you know. Yeah, I think you just kind of have to lump Spyro in with ps1 nostalgia more than anything where you are you're more nostalgic for that era and the 1998 platformer and everything that was around them that's really you're just kind of throwing spyro in there more than actual nostalgia for spyro the dragon itself i say that knowing that i guarantee you there are people out there that are straight up nostalgic for spyro the dragon but i feel that the majority is just more for that late 90s platformer more than Spyro itself. That's actually a really good point because now in 2020, it's like, look, how many 
you know, Ryan and I uh, did that episode about video game mascots, which is available right now in the archives from like uh, Gex to Bubsy. There were a ton of them. And these are just two that happen to be part of that huge bunch. But now it's kind of like the survival of the fittest. So we had Spyro, you know, he, he he's like checking on there. He crashes there, but you don't have that context. So like somebody can play this now, but not realize like we got a ton of these people, like a ton of these, like before Nuts and Bolts, Banjo-Kazooie was another stuff. He did other stuff yeah. aside from just cards, right? But it it's like, unless you were there, I feel like any other game, like Metal Gear Solid, for example, right? You could take any other more serious games, and I think you could chuck them in, in any generation or year, and that's fine. But there's something about like companies striving for that video game mascot. Companies striving for not like Super Mario 64. They were going for the next Mario. They wanted that yeah. next iconic mascot. And it's something that they don't really seem to be trying to go for anymore. They're kind of going more for like the Metacritic scores and and like the 9 and 10 out of 10s. So it's like, unless you were there, damn it, it's, it, it's kind of sucky that, you know, we can't... I, do you think there's going to be a resurgence of this, is I guess the next question? Pro probably not. I mean, I think a lot of platformers, they've found their homes in like the, you know, the indie games, the smaller Steam games or games you'd see on the Nintendo store. And Mario is always going to be there. Um, so you'll Mario will still always be uh, a platforming centric game. Um, so that's nice at least. But other than Mario... You know, it's I don't think you're going to see platformers really on the forefront quite like we used to. And, you know, I think a lot of it does go back to that that mascot conversation. And, you know, Mario took off and was this big mascot. And then you had Sonic and everything blew up from there. But as graphics got better and gamers grew up, you know, that prime gamer console generation grew up, the games got a little more gritty and mature and fps's took over once halo became king essentially and it's really come down to much more realistic graphics games that are that have taken over and it's not really about the cutesy mascots anymore because mm -hmm. it all kind of depends where you look because if you look at the other consoles like the uh the P the playstations and the xboxes what ryan said is a hundred percent true that's your more mature look at this stuff where all of these indie games they mostly live on the nintendo switch uh store and the pc now if you're trying to build a mascot and you're doing it on a nintendo store well sorry you don't really have a hope in hell because you're going up against your marios and your zeldas and your links and your donkey kongs so it's it's kind of doomed to fail from that point. But that being said, like a lot of the indie mascots, I think they do still exist. It exists in the indie space. Like look at Super Meat Boy he, er, and The Binding of Isaac to a lesser degree, even though that's not really a platformer. You still have those mascots that live there. Yeah. They're just not on the same level because they're kind of all being overshadowed by an Italian plumber these days. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, we still got, even though it's not necessarily all about platforming, but we got games like Cuphead that came out right which exactly. it's more of a contra shooter than a platformer but there's definitely platforming elements to it and then um you know 
not, I mean, it's quite a few years now, but what's the one, I can't believe I can't think of the name, but it's like the shadow kid and he's, pla- it's like, it looks like a silhouette shadow. Oh, uh, not um, inside, the other one. Um, 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 oh God, I'm... I just played it a couple yeah, of yeah. Years. That's I, it. I, I, I'm you looking call, at the you... cover in my head right now. Limbo, that's Limbo. it. Limbo. So yeah, that was another like you know, more indie game type of platformer. So those are the types of games we see now. And um, I think that's a great home for them. Um, But yeah, I don't think they're going to, aside from Mario, I think it's very rarely we're going to see like AAA platformer type of games. I think... uh... I just, well... I'll let you make your final point. Go ahead. No, no, I, I just wanted to say, like, I'm, I'm trying to think about why. Like, th- this is naturally the conversation in the 90s, particularly. Like, when you think of ep- uh, first-person shooters, there's a ton of options. But you think of platformers, and it feels like legally you have to say Mario. I think the reason is that when you think about first-person shooters in our generation, so like the 90s, with the exception of your Perfect Darks, you know, way late, later in the N64 and your Golden Eyes, sure you had Doom, but I think that was a genre that was still figuring itself out where like platformers, like going back to the NES, like companies had it figured out pretty well. We still play these games now, right? It's like, we still play these games today, but then they switched to 3D. And I think like, because Super Mario 64 wasn't like an average game, it was an incredible game companies were like i'm striving for greatness and the bar was already set so high that i feel like every company just had to go really 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 high up like look at first person shooters in the early 2000s and even though we had a lot of really good ones with the first call of duties and all that like look at first person shooters before and after call of duty for modern warfare like the bar was set so high that i feel like people just had to be to be obligated so if there's like one element of closure for me as to why maybe people should play Spyro in this case. It's like, this is a generation where people did have this stuff figured out pretty well. The fact that from a gameplay standpoint, Ryan said, hey, I blazed through this game in 2020 and you could technically do that with the PS1 game. You could have gone back because mechanically it's the same game. Sure, maybe it would not have looked as pretty, but that is a commendable feature that nostalgia aside you got to give the game credit that sure it didn't evolve right it maybe didn't get past a certain point but it's pretty damn impressive that in the first spiral game they got it pretty good yeah Uh, i mean i I, like i said yeah it's a very fun playable game and you know it's not gonna blow you away quite like mario 64 is interesting because i liked it as a kid but then i went back and played it a couple years ago and i was actually just i was even more amazed going back being like how much was in it at the time um where i think spyro is like it's like a a b minus i would say i hate to give like a score or whatever but like it's a good game but it's it didn't reinvent gaming in any way it's it a, it's a nice it. it's an oh, oh. oh it's a nice fun game <laughs> um but I just want to say, let's just talk about the final boss because we haven't talked about the final boss yet. Can, uh, let, can, can, can I can set I, okay. the stage a little bit? Yeah, or do you want to? S- okay. Um, so my experience with the final boss oh. was you get to the final world and I think there's like, there's four or five of these like chest things or whatever. And they open up and there's a level in each of them. So 
I get to the second to last one and I'm like, oh, this is an interesting level. Um, and I actually found it somewhat difficult. It, I thought it was kind of a pain in the ass. You're chasing down these egg guys and... Uh, once you get the key, then you chase down this big orc guy. And I was like, wow, I was kind of getting my ass whooped because it took quite a while to actually finally take him down. So I kept trying and trying. I'm like, wow, this, this second is last level is really a pain in the ass. Finally, I get to the end and I, I hit the orc guy and a cutscene comes up and I'm like, what? All right, well, I guess I just beat the game. I guess that's just <laughs> the end of the game. I assumed because there was another one of those chess things or whatever they are yep. that I was at the second to last level. I did not realize that that was Nasty Nork, the final boss that Spyro's been talking about the whole game. I should have known. I mean, you only see him once at the beginning cutscene. So I guess I forgot specifically what it looked like because there's a lot of orc guys. But I was like, boom, well, that's it. I just beat the game. Uh, yeah, so although it was a difficult level, in my opinion, it, it was just a very underwhelming final boss. I mean, it was kind of like a nice little cherry on top to the other boss fights in the game where you're all kind yeah, of looking we, at we them. should have saw it coming given how weak the other bosses were. But exactly. man, no, no, it, it was horrible. Like, uh, I don't even, you know, for the video version, I have footage that we've been playing throughout. I don't even have footage of me beating the boss because I was so convinced, like, there's no way that's the end. Like, there's no way it's going to end that bad. I'm laying down in my reclining chair. Like, I even told Nicole, I told my wife, like, oh, I'm, I'm almost at the final boss. I didn't realize, like, this is it. Like, that yep. is it. I see the credits of, like... I've I've had some crappy boss fights. This may be top three because it is just painfully boring. It's just boring because there's nothing worse than you know exactly what needs to be done. It's just that, oh, eventually I'm going to get it and then credits roll. Holy mm -hmm. crap. You okay, Keith? How, how, how was your experience with that one? Yeah, I mean pretty much exactly what you guys said where it's the game never really evolves with mechanics all the way down to the final boss where you're just doing the thing that you were doing at the beginning of the game and you just happen to do it to a bigger guy and then all of a sudden credits roll it was really disappointing i um i really like I kind of had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the whole um, last level of the game or the last world because they really do amp up the difficulty in that world and to a point of unfairness uh, in some spots that left me kind of frustrated but you know what it was difficult it was challenging it was taking the things that I um, had learned from playing Spyro and kind of challenging me with that all to this final boss fight that left me going well that sucked so it didn't they didn't stick the landing with that at all so thinking about 1998 and the fact that you know we're getting all these remakes remasters let's say if you were to go back into that year and take a game and not change any of the gameplay mechanics the gameplay stays the same but you were to give it that brand new sexy fresh coat of paint we're talking about ocarina of time tekken 3 half-life metal gear solid uh, Starcraft, I mean, that's kind of got a thing. Banjo-Kazooie, is there any game from that year that you would love to just say, keep most things the same, but let's make it look a little sexier? Is there any game that jumps to mind for you guys? Well, you said mine, and I hate you for it. But, but once again, there's... like that's already that's already been made, <laughs> Keith. You, you, like, they've already made Metal Don't. Gear Solid into, <laughs> into like a better, objectively better game. 
listen, you trash man. <laughs> That's just not true at all. If you just take Metal Gear Solid, you take the flippy Matrix BS out of it and turn that into a game that's straight out of 2020 it would like oh just give it to me put it in my veins <laughs> they i did get like the kind of a, a another answer for it is i kind of already got it with resident evil 2 remake where that's exactly what i would have wanted that to be but between those two it's all i want um yeah so we have ocarina of time 3d so it would be nice to see that on, you know, the big screen, but I would probably say I'd want Banjo-Kazooie more. I know they did like an upscale for the Xbox 360, but I'd love it to get the Spyro treatment where it's, you know, completely new assets. For me, uh, the game that it still holds up today because like I'm playing through PS1 games right now. It's thanks to this damn podcast. I just love to go back. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics is a game that I love, and oh, Lord, I. But what about War of the Lion on the PS3? Oh, sc- they objectively made a better game. Touche, touche, touche. Like uh, for for those that don't know, we got Final Fantasy Tactics on the PS1, but then they came out with PSP War of the Lions, which objectively it is better. Here's the thing: those dumb developers they forgot to fix a couple of things where. Every single uh, special ability in the game led to a slowdown. So animations that took four seconds sometimes would take 20. Multiply that throughout the game. And turns out people modded it. It's like a coding mistake. So it was a problem that in today's world would be modified. So I would love for them to either take that because they made stupid mobile ports. Put the damn thing on a PS4. Put the square. You release everything on the Switch. So just freaking re-release that damn version, and I'll be good to go. Interesting that they haven't put it on the Switch yet. It's so weird. Like, look, you have a mobile version. You can touch the damn handheld screen on the Switch. Square. Do I need to spell it out for you? I don't know. But everybody else. Uh, please let us know when talking about 1998 Brave Fencer Musashi. Uh, we got the Tomb Raider games and all that stuff. Which games would you love to see a sexy fresh coat of paint being applied? Maybe it's uh, repackaged into a, a trilogy or something like that that is very special. Uh, if you enjoy our podcast and these conversations, uh, do not forget that you can't carry the combo with all three of us and all of those lovely people on the Discord at a cast to the past.com slash discord. You can also uh, watch and maybe even share if you want to support the podcast uh, by going to Twitter and Facebook, also a cast to the past. We put out some clips of the podcast. So that way it's one of the best ways that you're like, Hey, I, I enjoy the conversations. How can I help out? That's a really good way. Another way is by leaving a five-star review, whether it be on Stitcher, uh, Apple podcast, or even on Facebook. And, and it makes Keith happy. Like, Hey, People, we got Keith back there. Keith is yeah. back here. I mean, we missed you, Keith. Oh, I missed Kinda. you guys too. Yeah, don't miss me too much. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like Ryan. Is is there is there, is there uh, such a thing as a uh, too much Keith? Oh, I, I can tell you yes. that answer definitely. is definitely. <laughs> yeah. By the way, thanks for making me sound like I had COVID nineteen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, I had to correct him <laughs> after the first after that uh, first episode. Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. I'm good. People, 
I meant to say, okay, in the previous two episodes, when I said Keith is battling that COVID, I realized in hindsight, the wording could have been better. I meant to say, like, he is, like, physically going out there and kicking COVID's ass. Afterwards, like, I go to bed. And then I'm, like, I'm thinking back in the episode, like, did I just give, give Keith COVID and I didn't even realize it? I'm, like, oh, man. So, wording could have been better, but... We're back here. Uh, keep an eye out for some future episodes. We're going to be talking about some possible changes happening, but it's all about having a great conversation right here on a cast to the past. Keith, um, so how much do we need to uh, do we need to pay the uh, pug for the appearance on the podcast? Because we didn't agree on any terms. Um, one bowl of rice per episode. Ooh. Ryan, get to cooking. <laughs> <laughs>